You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade on Blogging Heads TV. And my guest today is Douglas Lane. Uh, Doug, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I am the publishing manager of Zero Books, which is a critical theory and leftist imprint out of the UK, although I'm I'm obviously the ugly American uh, who's working for the imprint. I'm also um, a novelist. In the background, you can see my novel Bash Bash Revolution, um, which is the most current work. Um, I run a YouTube channel for Zero Books and a podcast, and I've been on your show, I think, before to talk about Kill All Normies, which That's is right. one of our big books and um i've i've interviewed glenn lowry um big fan of blogging heads overall i'm even a member of the uh uh parrot room with oh well, mickey and, well, and uh bless your heart for, uh, for, for, for that yeah. um so th- yeah so thank you for uh thank you for coming back on yeah it was about it's about three and a half years ago when we when we spoke about um uh kill all normies uh angela nagel's book um and the so you uh you emailed me uh about yeah. coming on to talk about uh, something that happened within the last week or so. And uh, why don't you just uh, uh, explain what happened? Well, I put out um, videos every week or try to hit a weekly schedule uh, to put out a collage video or a video essay uh, weekly that both promotes our books and gives me uh, a vehicle for my own expression. And um, what I have been doing in the last month is exploring some of the ideas in Christopher Lash's books, The Agony of the American Left and the Culture of Narcissism. Um, But when you make things for YouTube, you also try to find an angle that will hit the current zeitgeist or the whatever's trending. Um, And so I thought uh, about a week or so ago that I would do a video about um, right-wing conspiracy theories, specifically the conspiracy theory around something called the Great Reset, um, and see if Christopher Lash's ideas might have uh, or, or provide us with an avenue to understand the moment a little bit better than we already do. Um, and it ended up being a diatribe, I think, against uh, uh, the the abandonment of socialism and the uh, taking up of a, a capitalist progressive politics and status politics – um, uh, instead, uh, but you know, the, looking back to the turn of the century, meaning the turn of the 19th into the 20th century for, for that, uh, turn, um, or let me in the middle of the 20th century really. But, um, yeah, so that, what happened was I put up this video on the great reset and, uh, I, I, what I do is I put it up and then I, um, let the algorithm have its way with it like overnight. And then in the morning I'll write a description and release it. Uh, so like you want the algorithm to be able to look at your video, especially if you're making a collage to make sure there's nothing that's going to set off a copyright claim or be a problem. And, uh, if there is, you can reedit or something, Mm -hmm. but that seemed to be fine. I released the video uh, actually, no, the, the truth was there was a copyright claim on some music in the original video version, so I re-edited it, put, up, put it up again. Okay, so just, and, just a pause for a second. So the, so yeah. the algorithm, so, okay, so there's, we're going to be talking about multiple algorithms, I guess. But So yeah. if you upload a video 
uh, to YouTube, there is some sort of internal algorithm or something that scans the video in some way that normal people can't understand to see if you're really like uploading someone else's music video or uploading like a movie or something that right. is copyrighted. And they've figured this how to, how to do this very well because on the Bloggingist channel, behind the scenes, you can see they, they find when other people have posted snippets, even just snippets of Bloggingist videos, and they like show it. Like like the dashboard, I can see it. Um, right. And, you know, it, no one is, so this is not like stealing Iron Man 3 or something, but that's what primarily I, I assume they're worried about, you know, copyright claims from big, you know, right. international what, companies what and stuff like is, that. I, I had made this standard appeal to support us on Patreon, and I had taken music from a YouTube video called Rewind, and I assumed that since it was YouTube putting it out, that it was part of their YouTube audio library, but it turned out the music that I had lifted from that rewind video was actually copyrighted. They, they must have had permission and I didn't. So I took that, I took it down and used some music that I purchased from a royalty free library instead uh -huh. and put that up. And so that was, um, that was the first change. And then what happened was while I was uploading the new version, the old version was removed. Uh -huh. And so, so when then, you, you hadn't taken it live. It was just um... right. It was unlisted. Okay, and it was removed as an unlisted video. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so I, I I put up the new version that got through with no copyright problems. I made it public, and then it just sort of sat there. It didn't get views, or if it, it got some views, but it didn't get nearly the same velocity of views as I would have expected. So I thought, well, they removed this video, and I saw already that they had said I violated community standards and I appealed that right away because I thought, well, no, I didn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, wasn't disputing the world health organizations because uh, the reason they gave for the takedown of the original unlisted video was that it violated community standards by providing misinformation about COVID and specifically by disputing the recommendations on social distancing and social isol isolation that were coming from the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't done that. So I appealed it thinking, well, if a human being looks at this, probably it will be no problem. And uh, and then I got on chat saying, look, this video uh, with, with, that, like, with YouTube, because you can get help, uh, you know, sort of. Mm -hmm. And, and <laughs> so I talked to a YouTube representative saying, I'm not getting the views that I would expect. I'm wondering if this video having been removed once erroneously is affecting the views of this other version. The rep told me, well, you know, the reason this second video hasn't been removed is you explained the context better in your description. And there hadn't been a description on the original upload at all. Mm -hmm. So the algorithm had read the description and understood the video better, according to the rep. Hmm. But then but when I got off of the conversation with that rep, the second video was taken down. Um, and so now, I, now I, luckily, I didn't get... A second strike, it was somehow kind of thought of as one video, even mm. though there was two uploads, which was lucky. Because if there had been a second strike, I could have very easily like, had privileges taken away or even just had the whole channel taken down. Um, and as I sat with this over the course of that day, I realized I was pretty unhappy <laughs> about having a warning on my channel, which said if I did something like this again, you know, on our channel, it's not just mine it's like the imprints channel mm -hmm. um if it, if it happened again the whole channel could be taken down and then uh the appeal came back 
a response to the appeal came back right the next day and it was rejected with a form letter. Um, and there's no way to do another appeal or have any, there's no more process <laughs> to go through. Um, but to be clear, you know, it, in, in none of these, uh, you know, messages from YouTube, was it made clear what specifically had violated community standards? So whatever my guess might be about it or what your guess might be about it is speculation. We okay. don't know what they, what they decided. I suspect it was a combination of uh, quoting Alex Jones and then in a sort of cheeky way saying he wasn't a complete idiot, that there was something <laughs> the, that, that was true about what he was saying, even though it's not true that COVID is uh, a hoax and it's not true that, um, that we shouldn't wear masks. And right. It's, right. You know, um, so anyway, so now I'm basically trying to run a PR campaign <laughs> to get people to see that we have this problem with two hopes. One is to get the attention of YouTube, someone at YouTube who can actually change the situation for me. And the other is uh, to sort of start a conversation around the way that YouTube is being curated. And I, I would say kind of uh, haphazardly censored. Um, I, I, for one, I don't think it's right to impose a standard on YouTube that says you can't dispute the recommendations of the World Health Organization because those recommendations change. And mm -hmm. I remember back in March, they were saying we shouldn't wear masks unless we were having symptoms of COVID or, you know, and that, that it might actually make you get COVID to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. So that des deservedly was criticized by mainstream journalists at the time. And I think it should have been able, you should be able to critique the World Health Organization, even erroneously, you know? <laughs> and, and one other thing I'll say is right now, and last I checked anyway, there's a, like a two hour interview with a epidemiologist or probably not probably some sort of doctor um, out of, I think, Germany who is uh, saying that everything that the World Health Organization has suggested since COVID, uh, the, out the outbreak of COVID has been wrong, that the COVID isn't serious, but wearing a mask will kill you. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and right. this is a guy who's a doctor, has all the credentials, and he was given like two hours to talk. Um, and that video is still there. As far as I can tell, last time I checked, right. which I don't think it should be taken down, but it's odd to me that my video was taken down and this one, which directly disputes. I mean, maybe it was because it was put up before the rule change. I don't know. Right. Um, okay. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things here. And um, I guess, so we should say the video, you, you can't, obviously it's been taken down from YouTube, uh, you know, right. it, twice in two different iterations, <laughs> uh, but you right. can view it on Vimeo. Right. right or on your Patreon page, and it's a it's on my video. Page so we'll include the link. Hosting it. Yeah, we'll include the link on Blogging Heads um, for the video, and people can watch themselves. It's about seventeen minutes or so long, mm -hmm. and then you can, um, you know, have your own theory about why uh, why the algorithm <laughs> took this thing down. So I'll say after I watched it, my theory was it's Alex Jones. So you you have in there um, a fairly substantial, um, you know, excerpt of Jones talking from his show and i'd say it's a minute to 90 seconds or something is is jones and i think you know jones was maybe the first person that sort of has gotten banned like 
Joe just like if you're gonna ban someone, <laughs> you know all these um, mm-hmm. sites are are kind of loath to ban prominent people, and they're loath to ban conservatives especially. But um, if you're gonna ban someone, ban Jones. And yeah. so he's been banned from YouTube for a while, and I assume you know the algorithm somehow <laughs> knows what Alex Jones looks like or I mean, sounds but like. But he or was something. recently interviewed for like three hours on Joe Rogan. Well, Joe Rogan is a very powerful YouTube. person. Right, he has the most popular podcast in America, and sorry, Doug, you you do not, uh, and, and neither I do I. You know, I'm not number two. I, I'm not number two. So so there's <laughs> so there's that. So Jones is you know like one of the most reprehensible Americans alive today, and I you know I, I, don't know. He, I think Henry Kissinger outstrips him. Well, I, I'm <laughs> I, how many people are, you know? Does Henry Kissinger have a podcast? You know, like um, how many? Uh, oh, doesn't need one. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. you know, Kissinger uh, is responsible for the deaths of millions and is <laughs> it, probably still alive at like age ninety three and obese or whatever. But um, and I guess you know he maybe he's whispering in Joe Biden's ear. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> but but Jones, you know, a lot more people out there believe what Jones is saying, and that's bad for the world that they believe this shit. So I'm fine with banning Jones and I'm probably, I guess maybe I'm less of a like sort of free speech libertarian than, than you are. But, but so you include Jones and, and, and it's this funny clip. I don't know. I guess he maybe got kicked out of a studio or something. He looks like he's in a hotel room and he's sitting, <laughs> he's sitting next to this guy, Nick Fuentes, um, yeah. who is this guy who became famous for being the uh, racist college student. And he was at the Unite the Right rally and got kicked out of BU um, because right. he was too racist to go to BU. And now he's sort of an alt-right media figure and he's kind of sitting there looking like a little dork next to, you know, bombastic uh, Alex Jones is doing his his shtick. And, yeah. and and Fuentes is just like sitting there in a collared shirt or something. Um, but yeah, so you incl- so I think that would if, if it was one if I had to lay a bet on one thing, it was that you yeah. included too much Alex Jones. That somehow the geniuses who work at YouTube have figured out an anti an Alex Jones like sorting algorithm or something. And <laughs> and so they yeah. they knocked it out because of that. So does that make sense to you? Well, yeah, that could very well be, especially when you take into account that the uh, Twitter um, that that I I saw this tweet from uh, this uh, other YouTube channel called the what was it? Rationality Rules, where they they had put out a video and I hadn't seen the video, but they put out one debunking conspiracy theories. And uh, I would guess that they were possibly even less cheeky uh, or nuanced or indirect uh, you know, they were probably more direct than I was um, in their critique, and they were taken down too. And I would just guess it was because they did it. They had there were clips from things that had been banned already, or you know. So, but okay, there's two two points. One is when Alex Jones was taken down, I put out a video then saying that it was a mistake, um, and I and I we could talk about why I think it was a mistake to ban Alex Jones, um, but uh, the the other thing is. If we can no longer – if something is banned to the extent that you can no longer even quote it in order to criticize it, it seems like things are really askew. Yes. Um, I, I, so I agree with that. I mean did you, did you think about using less you know, raw footage of Alex Jones when you were playing well, the video I, together know, like, or – Because he kind of did really spontaneously. His, his like I, I, I spend like, uh, like 12 hours – uh, well, sometimes anywhere from six to twelve hours editing a video, like including the editing, the audio, and and uh, you know I write this, the thing, which that's a day uh, to write the essay sometimes, and and so then so I'm 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 writing it quickly, I'm 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 editing it quickly, so it's like a two day process to make one of these videos really, and often enough the decision about how long to make a clip is made once, 
you know, uh, and like you pointed out, it was a minute, minute and a half. I didn't, I, I just didn't think of it that way. And I think the truth was, I actually probably had meant to cut it a little bit sooner than I, I did mm-hmm. in the actual edit. Like, um, because I, there, if you remember in the edit of Alex Jones, like I fool around by making, like emphasizing extreme, an extreme close up, and then cutting to his hand going up and down and mm-hmm. trying to make him look absurd. Right. Uh, in a typical YouTube way. So where did you, um, where did you since he's not on YouTube and uh, is he on Vimeo? Where, he, where did, no, that was on YouTube. It was it was a clip that was already on YouTube. Uh, there was like okay, a, so he doesn't have his own channel on there, but he's still yeah. It was like Nick Fuentes' channel or something. I didn't even know who that guy was. Okay, but, so um, so Alex Jones is you know a little racist intern, whoever it is, still maintains his channel <laughs> and um right, right. and and that's the way they they get around it. So okay, so that if if, if Fuentes you know is maintaining you know, uh, Alex Jones videos on there. He's no Joe Rogan. He's this, you know, 19 year old, two races for BU guy. Um, so that, that, that would argue against my theory that it's all, it's all like Alex Jones. I mean, the other thing is you talk about this thing, the great reset, and that is sort of a conspiratorial right wing phrase. I don't know if it's a QAnon phrase, but it's sort of a right wing fever swamp thing in the way that, well, like, the great I mean, the storm sure, or the great but storm. but it also is real language that's coming out of the World Economic Forum. It's not coming from QAnon first. It's coming from the World Economic Forum. And before that, and before COVID, the reset concept was coming out of uh, Goldman Sachs and Financial Times. Okay, so, so, yeah, so that could, you know, in the same way that, like, George H.W. Bush said New World Order, like, he, he said exactly. those words, and then that yeah. became a, you know, took on a life of its own in the um, fervid right. imaginations yeah. of right. millions of Americans. Um, yeah. So, so that was the other, that was the only other thing that I thought could have been a red flag. Now I, I didn't see, I mean, the, do you think it was the, um, the text they could have been looking at the text also? Like if you had Alex Jones's name in the text, it's obviously much easier to run an algorithm that finds text and finds video clips. I think. I suspect it was when Alex Jones said, the combination of Alex Jones saying COVID is a hoax is no worse than the flu in the clip, which, by the way, that if I if I had wanted to cut something, it had been would have been that. And it wouldn't have been because I didn't want to set off the algorithm, but it was because that wasn't the subject of the video. The right. subject of the video was a great reset and not whether or not COVID was a hoax. And so um, uh, so anyway, I think it's a combination of that. And then the fact that I kept I come on in voiceover and saying it's easy to make fun of Alex Jones, but we should try to look at the rational kernel behind the madness or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that that's not a strong enough uh, de- denunciation or denial of the assertions of Alex Jones, maybe. Um, but by the end, I think it's pretty clear that I'm not saying anything about uh, social distancing or masks. Or- yeah. OK, so so do you OK, do you think um, until you sent a um, an appeal that a human had at YouTube had looked at this or do you think it was all no, oh, I, the algorithms? No, definitely not. No, I don't think I'm, I suspect that, a, that you have done more than any human being at YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> that you've watched the video. Right. And I don't think any human being at YouTube has watched the full video. Okay. I mean, anyone in, in a position to make a decision. Um, right. Okay. So yeah. So I don't know what their appeal process exactly means, my imagination is there's somebody who clicks on it and they see Alex Jones. That's good enough. They, you know, like I know what it's like to try to decide whether we're going to take a book proposal seriously, right. As a book publisher. And I don't read every book proposal all the way through. Right. So I imagine that someone who's going through an appeal process is also making a, a pretty quick decision 
on very little information. Okay, but so portion. you think when you made the appeal, do you think a human did an actual human somewhere did look at it, or you think it was like maybe just a different algorithm might have rejected the appeal? Well, the best case scenario in my mind is a human being looked at it and gave it a, a maybe a minute or thirty seconds to a minute to decide or something like that. Right. Okay. Um, but that's the best case. It could very well be another algorithm decides, or yeah. just as an automated no, we're going to reject every appeal. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I haven't so I haven't gone through this process myself, but it's but in some ways I've kind of and I've I've talked about it on the show before um, kind of this idea that like a lot of the problems and disputes that are arising based on the way we interact online are sort of like essentially forum moderator problems and someone who was moderating like a comic book forum in 1996 would have the same basic problems as like Twitter and YouTube and Google have now where yeah. it's like, there, you know, there's people fighting who needs to get a timeout or who needs to get banned from the site. It, it can be hard to say sometimes who first crosses the line and the person who is doing this deciding is not like a learned judge. There's someone like me because like I have been a moderator on, uh, right. on uh, you, bl blogging heads. 20 years ago, not even you now, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was never, I was on the comic book forum. I was never, I was never, um, you know, high enough up in, in that world. But finally, you know, I, I, so I do have moderator powers. And one of the funny things is, um, I guess I, I've thought about saying this before, but um, you know, I have moderator powers on the uh, comments on YouTube, and there's sometimes people who are very nasty about me on YouTube, and especially things about my appearance, or uh, uh, maybe saying I should be on medication, or I'm not on medication, or something. <laughs> and you know, yeah. I don't need to spend a lot. So I'm not an algorithm, but I don't need to spend a lot of time, um, you know, feeling like I, you know, need to uh, talk to these people and take them aside and and have a meeting of the minds. I just click the ban button, and then they're gone from the blogging heads YouTube channel. Um, for a while and or forever, really, there's no appeal process as far as I can see. So that's somewhat, you know, yeah. if you ban, I, look, if you ban a comment, you, I, they, they I have no the way of contacting you. At our YouTube channel and, and I am, you know, I am not, I do not have a consistent approach. Like if you make it's me impossible. feel like you personally insulted me, you're going to get banned. There's no yeah. way to have a consistent approach. It's like, you know, it's like the Supreme Court divides five to four on things like people, like smart people. <laughs> can disagree. And these aren't even, you know, take, take the ideology out of it. People disagree. I'm thinking there's also this, um, it makes me think of this podcast series that Michael Lewis, the great, uh, author, uh, put out over the past year or so called against the rules. That's about how, um, the first season is about, um, like judges and, and referees and, and how, you know, the, uh, NBA referees get more and more challenges these days. And there's this, all this technology, um, tracking whether they're a good ref or not. And you, you get appeal to the videotape and stuff. And, and, um, and like, it, and somehow this just makes everyone like angrier and like, <laughs> and more wanting to fight about these things, even though mm -hmm. like the appeal process is higher and, and saying, you know, like, like, who are you, bud, to, to tell me that, you know, that was a, a travel instead <laughs> or something else. And it right. goes into all, you know, uh, traffic court and all sorts of, of other things. But yeah, so someone, some human, in the case of me and you, some humans making decisions, but in the case of YouTube, it's not, it, it's, it's not even a human. It's not and, a human. It's an algorithm. It's, and it's a little different than moderating comments on a forum because for a couple reasons, one is it's a, a, a platform for people who are creating, I guess it's called content now. Um, and I'm a partner. I get money from the right. the 
uh, YouTube channel or our, our, our imprint does. And um, so we have a business relationship there. It's actually unclear now whether or not we're um, contractors because of the way they're changing their payment structure. Um, so we have a different kind of relationship. I'm not sure what the legality of it uh, actually is. And by the way, I've actually been in contact with an entertainment an entertainment lawyer um, to sort of start a conversation about a lawsuit, possibly. And it, it, and it, I'm not sure if I have standing. I you know I haven't really even had a phone conversation with the with this person yet. But they are fans of the channel and contacted me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thinking, well, what avenues do I have? Uh, and uh, I, I'm not litigious, but I feel as though it would be worthwhile to raise the issue as far as I can. Um, not just uh, here comes my cat. Oh, that's I mean, that's <laughs> even better. Um, th- this is this is the things that only only blogging heads uh, <laughs> provides um, this kind of content. Yeah. Anyone who watches me interview people has met my cat oh, lots very, of times. Because very cute. What happens is. If I am um, on the computer talking to someone, uh, my cat feels like, oh, he must be really lonely sitting over there talking to himself. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't have any cats currently, but uh, in a past life when I did have a cat, I, she often would come when I was doing these because she must think, like, he's talking to me. Who else is he talking to? But um, <laughs> OK, so but let me um, – so I, I think it would be, I mean, it would be interesting to see if there was some sort of, uh, a, if you had standing to uh, to sue, and I'm kind of, I don't know, I, I, I have a feeling that whenever you created the channel, there was like a very long legal document that maybe you glanced at and you hit, I agree, yeah, and it, it like screws you over for all time. over with a lawyer, right? I mean, that, that document, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's, I mean, I, I assume you, YouTube, which is on my Google, has you know, the best lawyers that money can buy um, oh, yeah. or, or making it so that, that they'll almost always win. But um, l- let me um, step but back and probably the idea would be really to raise a legal challenge so that it would be worth their while to actually pay enough attention to examine the issue in our case. And rather than go through the process, you know, like it's a calculation, financial calc- financial calculation, are we going to spend money on lawyers to lawyer up to defend our decision, or are we just going to take a look at it and settle on this and figure something out? Um, the other reason to do it is to raise uh, the issue in public in the public imagination, as, uh, especially on the left, because I think the the left has taken the wrong approach to to this question. It'll certainly, the left that would include you, um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm, I'm a Marxist and all, so I, uh, we're, I'm to the left of you. Mm-hmm. But the left that would include a progressive like yourself, um, I think has taken the wrong position on things like banning Alex Jones and on on what we want from these sorts of big monopoly institutions. Okay, so do you do you think um, that? Okay, so there's some things that we can assume YouTube will take down because it's illegal to post, like child pornography. Right. Um, what about regular pornography? Do you think YouTube should take that down? Um, I, uh, I understand why you would want to, it, I mean, it, first of all, you, there's plenty of places you can get pornography online. Right. So it's not a matter of, of, um, community standards to take it down. 
Well, the, is the YouTube uh, a community, or are we all a community on this in this well, worldwide web or I don't something? Know how you know, defining community, but in terms of like the overall internet community, or the national community, or even the international community, right? So, so yeah, so there's websites that are doesn't violate those standards now. There are websites that are essentially YouTube for porn, and right. and they host, and so anyone who wants to find porn can find it very easily. But I assume right. there are people every day who are trying to upload porn, either porn that they have already on their computer, or porn they're like starring themselves. Um, to YouTube because YouTube is the biggest video site on the right, planet. No, so they must, so, and I assume there's algorithms that knows the amount of flesh that's on screen or something, and that is right. Blocking but, that I mean, the, the, the reason I'm pointing it out is like it, when we talk about YouTube um, censoring pornography, or Tumblr went through this as well. We're now talking about uh, how much power the channel should have to curate its own content and create its own identity. Right. Rather than community standards or protecting people from speech that's harmful, it's more about uh, what's practical in terms of creating a platform so that people can use it well. I mean, if uh, if you have a platform that doesn't dif- isn't specifically for porn that includes porn, um, you know, it will become probably a much less trafficked uh, platform because you're not going to know what you're going to get or it'd be hard to set the parameters. And there are contexts where people would like to go to a video channel and watch videos that are not pornography. It's rare, <laughs> but, but, but it does happen. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I would feel as though they should have the right to do that or at least it, maybe it's not a matter of rights, but it, it makes sense to me that there should be platforms that ex- exclude certain kinds of, content that don't violate community standards but uh nonetheless are excluded because of the kind of practical practical efficiency of having a a a branded identity or or a curated forum right but so that's the whole thing about 230 this um uh uh, digital uh, amendment, uh, some sort of amendment to uh, uh, to the law around um, the Digital Millennium so, Copyright Act, I believe, right. which was passed yeah. like, it was before the millennium. Like ninety six. It's from ninety six, yeah. I think. So you know, a very different yeah. form of the internet was around twenty four years ago, and you right. know. So, and this is something that's being hotly debated now because as Trump leaves office, and he will leave. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, but uh, as he leaves, he's making noises, and he's—I guess—he's uh, saying he's going to veto military expenditure legislation. Yeah, he says. He, yeah, he's, he's demanding that repealing 230 go in the, you know, Defense Department reauthorization or funding bill or something, which doesn't really make sense. Obviously, these things get like larded up with unrelated things. But why? Uh, you know, there's no national security or, or something aspect to this. Um, so he's demanding that. And I think the, the you know, I, I'm of the um, belief that Trump has like no actual political ideology or political beliefs, really. He just has a series of like prejudices. He's and mad at Twitter. Yeah, he's mad at Twitter for like putting, you know, like uh, putting little things underneath his tweet saying, that, you know, the election <laughs> results are not actually a dispute or whatever. They're doing right. or like this may be inaccurate, so he's mad at that. And yeah, he—I mean, it's bizarre that he, you know, he would—he probably wouldn't be president if Twitter didn't exist. And yet, that's like receives all of his, um, you know, his ire. Uh, yeah. The, and yeah, so it's 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 strange and stupid. So I don't think that is if, if that ever happens that this thing gets repealed, it's not going to be in the next. But, week but or again, so. just like Alex Jones, there's a rational kernel in what Trump is doing, even though he's doing it in his way, which is always insane. But 
it is a question the degree to which uh, these institutions, these big monopoly uh, uh, media platforms, digital media platforms should be protected from litigation if they're going to be curating their content to the degree that they do. Right. And, so, so it's kind of like what, and you probably understand this better than I do. It's, it's sort of like it was created to get, say that you couldn't sue, you know, America online because someone posted something defamatory about a third party on a message board. Like that's what, that was sort of the intent right. that in the way that yeah, you, yeah. you could sue like the New York times, maybe if they printed something defamatory about a third party, depending on whether or not they attributed to someone else, something like that. So, right. And the weird thing is it was actually people talk about this as if that was put in place in order to create neutral platforms. But in fact, no, the idea was to protect them from litigation in order to give them – I've read into this because of my experience. My understanding is you want to give them protection from litigation so that they can moderate their content without fearing that they're going to be now taken to be something other than a neutral platform and actually be treated like a publisher. So you want to make it explicit that they are going to moderate their content, but they're still protected uh, as an as if they're a neutral utility or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this sort of ha- it, it, it's this approach to it to trying to give them a business model and protect uh, the public good um, at the same time because you don't want everything to be like 4chan, right? And even 4chan. You know, limited Fortune some stuff related to child says, porn and maybe something else, yeah. and then they and then it people made eight chan, um, and because, even eight chan won't traffic in that stuff anymore. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's no there's no such thing as an unmoderated um, like web forum of of any forum yeah, in a loose no. sense because it, it eventually will be run over by child porn and Nazis, and then all the who's and everyone all right. the normal people leave. Um, By the way, we should differentiate. Child porn is absolutely hundred percent and should be illegal. Yeah, child porn is illegal. Being a Nazi is not illegal, but most people right. don't want to hang around <laughs> somewhere where there are a lot of Nazis, um, and so they leave and go somewhere else. Um, right. So okay, well let me. So the one thought I've had about this is like um, these issues of. Free, free speech online, I don't know, I, I, I guess I'm, you know, the, the, I think maybe the, the past five plus years have changed how much of a free speech believer I am, because I think, you know, the people who are in like the um, intellectual dark web and uh, the people who are, you know, signing like the Harper's letter and stuff, yeah. they think like, you know, they're like, you know, we're, we're like, we're being silenced and blah, blah, blah. Like, so, but I, I think they're wrong in that, but the problem isn't that people are being silenced. The problem is that there's too many people talking they're, they're like this, this is it, 25 years ago. We thought it would be good if everyone has a voice and is talking. And it turns out it's probably bad because most people are very stupid <laughs> and, and they just fight with each other and they, um, you know, they, they don't add anything to the to society on net and they're probably both more miserable afterwards so are you sure you're not just wanting to eliminate the competition for blogging head (laughs) patreon money well um yeah so i know blogging has is an example i mean uh started in 2005 15 years it's been um the Uh this this past month um but obviously this is a entirely online format and wouldn't have existed 25 years ago impossible for it to exist 25 years ago and Mm -hmm. is it good or bad that it is i think it's good it's employed me for a long time but um you know, but like blogging heads is curated. Um, you know, I'm one of the editors of blogging heads. It, it's not just like anyone can come on and post something. So, you know, it's more, it's not like the utility like thing of um, YouTube, really. It's more like a magazine or something. But anyway, yeah, so there's, there's, 
I think we we need we'd be better off with with well, less right speech, now, not more YouTube speech. channel. Blogging Heads used to be its own video platform. That's true. And now it's moved mostly over to. I mean, I think well, you it's still on YouTube. It's also a po- an audio podcast, which right. is distributed in a more much more decentralized way through RSS feeds and and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so YouTube could conceivably take down this episode for some reason if we say the words Alex Jones too many times. But right. the podcast version is like has this distributed network sort of thing, so it's um, right. much and, harder to. Take and down. I have my own podcast too, and and Zero Books is distributed in lots of different ways. We publish books. It's not as though if our YouTube channel gets taken down, we don't have a, a platform anymore. Zero Books will continue on. It will only hurt our publicity efforts. Um, uh, and uh, if our YouTube channel is taken down, and but it, it, I tell you, I spend a lot of time on that YouTube channel, probably a little bit too much. Um, <laughs> and uh, it 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 would it would hurt the the imprint for it to be taken down. Yeah. The other thing I would say is um, when you went from being your own website that you paid for and, and curated to being a YouTube channel as well or instead of you went from uh, one sort of model for for blogging heads to another now you're playing in the field of you know you're competing the, the crazy thing is like some kid who gets his parents phone and talks into it and walks around in his front yard and says something like I'm thinking of a specific kid says I love <laughs> communism and he's like eight years old that kid will probably outperform you and have a bigger channel. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to talk to that kid and see, know what his secrets are. But yeah, so there's all these all these people younger than I am um, who are you know use this this platform much more effectively than I ever do. But okay, so just right. getting back a little bit to sort of my yeah. my anti. But that's part of the whole thing stuff. of like everyone's talking. It's like everyone's talking, and there's no good filter. Yeah, so there's no filter. Okay, so content. you know, okay, if if, if it was 1995. And I was the age I was now, and I had something I wanted to share with the world. Well, what could I do? I could write a letter to either my local paper, or the New York Times. I could maybe try to like get a book deal or something. But if I was just a regular person, that's hard to do. You need like an agent. I could. Um, uh, How old are you, by the way? I'm thirty. I'm thirty-seven. Um, okay, so in 1995, I was uh, 24, and I was trying to get short stories published, and I had my first. Uh, email address at uh, at uh, Yahoo, <laughs> and um, and I believe it was like ninety six or ninety seven. I was on something called Live Journal, mm-hmm. and um, I was on a, a bl- I had a blog. Okay, so um, uh, so yeah. but but just okay in the pre internet yeah. era, um, right, pre internet. So I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. you, okay, so like, I it, I could go through traditional media. Uh, yeah. You know, try to get a gatekeeper of traditional media to give to like let me put my words on their product, or yeah. I could like uh, photocopy my message and like put them under windshields or like on community bulletin boards, right. or I could just stand on the corner and I could like on a soapbox and I could sell say my piece and maybe like if I was being too disruptive, like someone would come and tell me I had to leave. Um, right. So and not and almost. It would be be virtually impossible for me to like go viral in the pre-internet sense uh, in that system because of the gatekeepers. No matter what my message was, very likely that it was ever going to strike a nerve or anything or or whatever. And that was like the understanding of free speech for two hundred plus years of the, you know the, fir- the existence of the First Amendment was like you know you can um, you can buy your own printing press and print your own pamphlets and stuff and and distribute them, but it wasn't there was no ability for a person with like zero means or zero connections or something to 
get something <laughs> uh, you know spread uh, nationally, let alone globally. So, so like right. there's been a, a really radical change. Um, very that's happened very very quickly, and I don't think we've sort of thought about it enough as because we're like stuck in the middle of it as as it's happening. So now any crazy person can film a rant and on their phone, upload it, it goes viral, everyone's like, oh, look at this crazy guy, and then everyone is going nuts about it until 12 hours later something else happens and we're just distracted into that thing. Um, and if the guy is, like, saying, you know, uh, COVID is a hoax by Bill Gates, the ones with put a uh, chip in your brain or something, um, uh, then, you know, then that's, you know, they'll it, get a million hits. But whereas that guy 30 years ago would have been, the crazy person on the corner and people would have been like crossing the street to, to avoid them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just remember Jerry Springer uh, and, and there's Dr. Phil and uh, uh, hell, there's the lead up to the invasion of Iraq um, where the New York times put out lots of misinformation uh, that led to a, a major war. Um, and the other thing is I come out of like in the nineties, um, one of the first things uh, I did as a writer was publish my own zine, right? Yeah, so and get it listed in Fact Sheet Five, and you know I was there next to the UFO zines and the white <laughs> supremacist zines, <laughs> you know, in this big list of. I mean, not because I fit in those categories, okay, but just because you know there was a whole smorgasbord of fringe material that was listed in Fact Sheet Five, but I was proud to be listed with all the other kooks. <laughs> in that directory, you know, um, right? And, but even and, doing uh, that, like, even like the like, you know, okay. So obviously, like Alex Jones, uh, for all of his faults, I assume, like, works very hard to get his product out there. But also, you just have right. people who, you know, the, and he what, came what, up through traditional radio, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. He's in uh, Waking Life. Uh, uh, the yeah, right. R- Link later from, like, came out like 2002. Early, early. That was like he had been around in the 90s. He he he. But he, he was comes from he was stuck in, He was stuck in Austin. I, yeah. I, I, he didn't have national exposure, but anyway, um, yeah. it's like, so, you know, even like ha- having enough, having it together enough to like photocopy and distribute a zine, like that shows you'll at least have something going on <laughs> versus, <laughs> right. and you know, it was the white supremacists and the UFO guys and the flat earthers were doing it too versus now it's just the eight year old, an eight year old child or whatever can do it and, and, and go viral. Um, but yeah, I just think like, there's just so, okay. There's just so much garbage that is produced. And the thing is, okay. Um, we assume that the first when your thing was taken when your video was taken down, an algorithm did it the first time, and then maybe a human looked at it the second time. But we, there's no way we can really know that now. Right. Like it's impossible for YouTube to have humans looking at all this stuff. There's too much stuff, obviously, and it's in every I know, I know. human language. It's problem. So it's 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 it'd be impossible for for humans to do it. We don't you know the company will go bankrupt if they required a human to watch every single video and check it off whether it's you know. Uh, passes whatever test so and you know it would take lifetimes of, of viewing to like see what was uploaded every hour or something insane like that yeah. so there's, there's way too much content for humans to actually moderate it so they use the algorithms because it's impossible to, for humans to do it and also you don't have to pay the algorithm a living wage or whatever so right so that it makes sense why they use the algorithms the but the algorithm is a, a, a humans are fallible um, we know that sometimes judges make the wrong choice and, um, and algorithms are made by humans. So you're not going to have the perfect algorithm either. So it's, it's possible that the algorithm simply, you know, si- simply made a mistake in yeah. something we don't even understand about the video that it saw and, and triggered it's whatever, or, 
or you know, it, it just has this idea that no Alex Jones or something, or no saying Great Reset or no saying WHO or something. And the other thing I, I just want to add uh, your thoughts on this. I have a feeling that if this had happened, if you had uploaded the video three months ago, it might have been a different because yes, they know that Biden is coming in and the Democrats are very angry about the things that social media uh, have led oh, to oh. over the past uh, couple years. And so they're going to be looking a lot more closely at it than Trump, than the Trump administration ever did. And so it's time to kiss up to oh my, the I Democrats hope you're instead wrong. of kissing I up really to Trump. I really hope you're wrong because that makes me hate Biden more. Okay, well, but, just, but, I mean, <laughs> you're a Marxist. What's the material? <laughs> Look at this. What's the material analysis I, here? Well, my, well, okay. My thought was that the reason why they, they're clamping down is because of the second spike. It's possible that too, although I think they probably care more about money than they care about people dying who they don't know, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's probably but I'm not being – am I outmarxing you <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah, no, you are. You are a little bit. You're being more cynical than I was. <laughs> I, 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 uh, yes, it could be that they're trying to prepare now for what they perceive to be the threat of more restrictions or more demands from uh, a censorious uh, Biden administration. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, um, I it, all I can say is that uh, if you start going down this road of uh, censoring every conspiracy theory that can't be justified, Rachel Maddow will be thrown off next, and 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 um, you know it, the idea that we've seen the last of the right wing Republicans. Uh, is ridiculous too, and I would hate to see a uh, right-wing Republican administration try to censor expression based on their political ideology the way that people uh, seem to think it's okay for liberal Democrats to do. Um, so th- that I'll say that. But the other thing is like if we try to be realistic about what we want right now from YouTube, like what I want and what YouTubers might want – it's difficult because we are trading on the fact that it's a giant platform, that it is a monopoly. Um, that's what gives us the power to reach such a big audience because it has so many users. <clears throat> and if we had to – if I had to go to every single different kind of platform that might reach the same level of audience and put up videos and try to get involved, it would just be impossible. So that's a, the perk of YouTube is that it's a monopoly. Um, it also so, works very well. It does. I mean, that's that's just another thing. Like one of the reasons blogging heads, blogging and YouTube started the same year, two thousand five. Right. Obviously, the the trajectories have been somewhat different. Um, but but <laughs> right. YouTube, but blogging is more like a content thing, whereas YouTube is a you know a platform that. But right. originally, like the video, like like blogging had its own video software developed by this guy Greg Dingle, who later went to work for Facebook and. And so it was still somewhat novel in 2005 to see video on the web that worked consistently because you, because YouTube wasn't really a thing yet. And so you usually you had to like download like a real a real audio player or a real player or something to get the file. And then half the time it wouldn't work or something. And uh-huh. so so I mean you, there's a reason that that you know YouTube has network network effects made it that like the first site that did this very well it was very likely that they would become a giant monopoly. But like it it really does work. Taking aside the all of our complaining about it like. If you want to find a video, you'll find it, and it almost always plays. Like it, it just it does right. work well. Yeah, so right, it does work well. So those are all good things about YouTube, and and but they're also uh, the the fact that it's a, such a powerful monopoly is also a problem. So uh, I'm thinking about this right now as like as a YouTuber, as a YouTube creator, uh, or, or what have you, whatever you want to call it, me. Um, 
if I were to join together with other YouTube creators and say we should try to make a demand of our employer, uh, the demand I think I would make is that there uh, that the that the value of free speech is put at the top of the list of values when determining community standards. That there are no community standards that limit scientific inquiry or debate. So uh, that you know that will mean that a lot of things that make people uncomfortable would be not excluded from the outset. Um, but uh, you know that that the standards should be around uh, defamation of character, uh, calls for violence, um, and then some you know pornography. Uh, uh, and I would even go so far as to say, you know, if you want to say no, no anti-Semitism, um, or, or if you want to have a list of words that aren't allowed to, I mean, it'd be all right with me if you couldn't say fuck on YouTube, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, be, but, uh, I would rather not be able to say fuck, but say the World Health Organization is wrong. And if you wear a mask, it's going to kill you. You're gonna be. You're gonna suffocate on that mask. I'd much <laughs> rather have that um, be the the standard because you know that that claim is so absurd on its face. And when you say you can't make it, that's what gives these conspiracy guys some some sense of power because they're being suppressed. And yes, yeah, it, it, it's. I mean, dealing with people who believe in conspiracy theories is a, a growing problem. And actually, it makes right. me think. Are you aware of uh, Kirby Ferguson, the filmmaker who made a, a, a documentary about conspiracy theories? Uh, Do you, does his name ring a bell? No, his name doesn't. But I should maybe. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll send you the link. We'll put it below. He yeah. also made uh, everything's remix. That was his first thing that that went that went. Yeah, big. He, he's, he's been on the show uh, two or three times, I think. But um. Anyway, that's probably he, where I know him from. That's possible. But he <laughs> yeah. he made a he made a documentary. But so it's interesting when we look at the copyright claim aspect of this also. So he makes documentaries. All of his almost all of his um, footage is pre-existing footage from movies, TV shows, music videos, other documentaries yeah, right. that he's so remixing. Same with my stuff. Right? So that would be considered fair use, I guess. But it's possible to think that that someone would put in a copyright claim, or the algorithm would detect a copyright claim or something. It's but I I think it's usually. He does the voiceover and the music, but the images are, um, but the images are from like old westerns and, and stuff like this. Anyway, he yeah. made this thing about um, conspiracy uh, conspiracy theory video that like a short documentary, like forty five minutes. I watched it. Uh, I thought it was very entertaining. I tweeted it out, and just within the past week or so, I saw it, he said it was taken down also. And, and he was, but he was doing like a public appeal on Twitter, and I, and I the last thing I was saw taken out from YouTube. Taken out from YouTube. The last thing I saw was that someone from Twitter responded to him. On uh, uh, saying, no, sorry, someone from YouTube on Twitter responded to him saying, like, well, look at this. Um, but it may have been a similar thing. So maybe it's that they know that YouTube knows that YouTube is the biggest, like, conspiracy theory promoting platform in the world right now. And they've radicalized people unintentionally with their crazy algorithm that rewards um, intense, like, engagement and devotion as opposed to anything else. So this is not news at this point. If you, like, Maybe you're vaguely interested in conspiracy theories. You watch a video about the JFK assassination, and then there's one about Flat Earth, and you're like, oh, I'll click on that. And then it suggests one to you about how the Flat Earth is run by the Jews, and you click on that one, and then it's the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and, and, you're, de and you're deep in the hole at this point. And it's all just the algorithm thinking what, what other people engage with intensely, because intense engagement is a way to keep people looking at the ads that, <laughs> that pay for YouTube. Um, so so it, could be this, it could be the conspiracy theory angle is what 
they are cracking down on, and maybe just if you had the word conspiracy theory in there, uh, um, maybe who knows? Maybe maybe that's it. It's 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 kind of a black box. Yeah, when I I I went onto YouTube to, to type in JFK conspiracy, and and all I find are debunk videos from very mainstream sources at the top of the search right now. So you could be right. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's funny that the, the, the people, the executives at Google or whatever, finally got embarrassed enough about all this shit that they're like, okay, we need to do something because like our nieces and nephews hate us because of we're promoting. QAnon and and other ridiculous things. Um, See, but I have never been able to find a QAnon video on YouTube. Maybe that's just because I mean, like, the, uh, it's only in the last couple months that I thought it would be worth the knowing what QAnon was about, right? And so I, I I did my usual thing and being lazy, I went to YouTube and said, "What is QAnon?" And <laughs> <clears throat> I got mainstream media people who are as confused and bewildered as I am about it uh, like they're, they're they'd be asking what is QAnon? well that's, that's interesting well, we don't know maybe if you had done that a year ago it would have been different i mean they're always tweaking the algorithm for their own yeah. ends and those ends aren't always society's ends i just one other little kind of like micro example of this that i noticed recently is that um you know well i think probably one of the main ways that people find new content on YouTube is, is like the column in the right hand side. That's like videos you might enjoy or something. And that's algorithmically generated based on the one you're watching. And I was looking at one of my own videos on blogging heads and all the ones it was suggesting were Glenn Lowry ones. And I was like, well, if people like Arya Cohen Wade, they're not necessarily going to like Glenn Lowry. Like why don't, there was like one Arya video in there of the 150 that are up. It was all Glenn stuff. What's the reason? I think it's because, Glenn is a very passionate following. He's the most popular one on, on blogging heads, but he's also the one that really like people are watching an hour video. Whereas if when they look at mine, maybe they jump ship after 10 minutes. I've or so. been watching Glenn for a long time and I've interviewed him a couple times now. <clears throat> and I have noticed him shift to the right. Oh, he's, the, yeah, the he's definitely shifted to two, the right. three years. And I wonder to degree to which uh, maybe unconsciously it's because that's rewarded by it's, audience approval. It's possible. And what the it's it's well known that you know conservatives do, dominate the politics sec, section of YouTube um with you know Ben Shapiro and and you know Jordan Peterson videos and so actually right. when I um I, there's some sort of overlap between blogging people who like blogging as and people like Jordan Peterson or something or the algorithm thinks there sure. is and so when I was I I looked in like an incognito window so I wouldn't know who I was one of my own videos what's on the side it's a couple of mine and then mostly Glenn and Jordan Peterson. So I, but, you know, I am not like right. really close to Jordan Peterson anyway. And I have critiqued him and made fun of him uh, right. a lot on this show, but the people who, who watched Jordan Peterson videos, like they'll watch a two and a half hour lecture um, because he has these very, very committed fans who are very engaged with the content. And that's, that's like the ideal fan from YouTube's perspective because they can run a bunch of ads or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I our channel kind of arrived by critiquing Jordan Peterson, like one of the you know the reason we grew from eight thousand uh, subscribers to fifty thousand is because of Zizek and Jordan Peterson. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, um, uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's a funny thing, and um, uh. One of the things that I think might happen to left-wing media over the next four years is that our big adversary has dropped away and the we're going to lose clicks 
now that Trump is gone, right? Yeah, you can't you can't write on the coattails of of Trump with your anti-Trump rhetoric, and our audience isn't going to reward an anti-Biden rhetoric the same way it's rewarded. Right. So okay, well, let's just discuss this briefly, kind of like the future, and especially for left-wing uh, yeah. media when a lot of the infrastructure is corporate-owned. Um, yeah. yeah. So right. and so you know, so Trump will be leaving soon he won't be president anymore i guess right. he'll, he'll still be causing a ruckus or something right. but um you know pro- a lot fewer people are gonna be watching rachel meadow once trump is gone because the sense of emergency is gone and the so it's it so you know the, looking at it from a like vulgar marxist perspective you know mm-hmm. fox news would much rather have like Obama in office than Trump in office because they can rile people up about Obama much more easily than they can rile people up about Trump. And because it's easier to get people like super excited in a negative sense. Than I don't positive, know. Positive Trump sense. may be an exception for Fox because he had such a passionate, positive following and people loved mm-hmm. him. And that may have brought as many people to Fox as it brought to MSNBC. But certainly like if George W. Bush or like if Mitt Romney had won or, you know, that would have been bad for Fox for sure. Right. So so Biden is kind of a boring person. Like Obama was an exciting person. Trump is an exciting person. Biden, more of a boring person. So I think probably ratings are going to go down <laughs> across the board because – Right. There are people who are like, OK, I'm going to get back into my hobbies um, instead of listening to podcasts or, or something. Right. Or I'm going to listen to yeah, a yeah, yeah. comedy podcast or true crime or something instead of politics. So I, so I think it's it, it's going to be. Um, so I think there's that. But yeah, like the you know, the fact that YouTube is a part of a giant corporate conglomerate and then you are critiquing capitalism within it. I mean, YouTube could just be like all the Marxists, are, you're gone. Like, like, don't you think they could just do that? <laughs> right. And now be within their rights? Say again? Like, I, could you sue YouTube if they were just like, all the Marxists No, they could get out of here? me on so many grounds. If they decided that I was full of misinformation because I believed in the labor theory of value, <laughs> which goes against the orthodoxy of, of economists at Harvard and Yale and wherever, mm-hmm. they could just um, get rid of me on the same basis that they get rid of uh, people who say that uh, you know COVID is a hoax, the consensus of the the expert class is uh-huh. against my position, right? So yeah, no, I mean this is one of the reasons why I am so adamantly for free speech is because my own position would easily be marginalized and erased if it wasn't for that position, right? right. Yeah, I, so, I, I, I even though I I said some anti free speech stuff that makes a ton of sense to me and yeah. is definitely a good aspect of the First Amendment. Um, but I think, I mean, do you, do you see like, um, uh, like the podcast genre, um, or medium because it, you know, it, it, it doesn't rely on one, one for-profit corporation that that is maybe more where left-wing stuff should go and just get away from the evil, rapacious, monopolistic capitalists? You know, like the biggest podcast round is uh for the left in america uh for like the socialist left is chapo trap house right right and they're huge they have they make like a million dollars a year or something i don't know how much they make but they make a lot of money and they're and i like them and actually i may uh well i, I should keep that in wraps i've had them on um 
the uh, the our podcast and yeah, Will, uh, Will Menneker has been on uh, with Bob, and I actually had um, Felix Peterman somewhat before he was famous uh, doing his character. Like, do, do, do you remember that character not, he used to do that was the pundit, sort of making fun of like Chris Eliza type people? Well, I can't remember. What yes, was, he, uh, well, uh, he did that my character on my show. Chrisman, who's who after Bernie Sanders um, lost, uh, kind of started vlogging from his backyard. Yes, I've seen some, I've seen some of those. And those were posted <laughs> yeah. on YouTube, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And uh, but I think they started on Twitch and then they get reposted on YouTube and and it it's clear this is a man who's been spiritually devastated and is reinventing himself after the the the, the destruction of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And I enjoy it cuz it's so authentic and he's he's fun. Um but but the thing to remember about them is they came out of Brooklyn. They came out I think they were uh Formerly associated with Gawker, that's <clears throat> what I've heard that they were from Gawker, the Gawker universe. Well, I think some of, uh, some of those guys sort of emerged out of um, the something awful forums, which you know was this sort of part of those people moved on to Twitter and created weird Twitter like Drill and you know Crushing Bort and those those people. Uh, Rob Delaney, I don't know if Delaney was on um, something awful, but a lot of those people, you know, honed the sort of weird comedic instinct and then which was very like absurd and, and dark and had lots of typos <laughs> in it and then so some of those pe- people be- became big on twitter and i think those guys were sort of in that in that mix back in the day so that was a web forum that was just for like weirdo comedy yeah freaks, i'm, I'm not know? saying that, that 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 that's the only thing that did but my understanding was i've heard uh, i should ask matt that they came up in Brooklyn, that they came out of a relatively elite academic scene as well, and that they had connections. Like pretty early on, they were being featured on the cover of, uh, you know, at least getting like New York Times or New Yorker coverage. Right. Well, well, Menneker's father, who passed away a couple months ago, was the um, fiction editor at the New Yorker, I think. I'm not sure okay. about the other ones, but. Right. Yeah. So there you go. So. They rely on institutional, maybe old institutional power to be as big as they are. Not I mean that in talent and, right. and insight, but um, just to toot my own horn a little bit, I started a podcast while I was a Comcast uh, sales rep at the age of 37 uh, and just started a free podcast on Podomatic um, and have and ended up where I am now because of that. And it's taken me like 12 years and I'm nowhere, you know, I, I'm still just this tiny as a podcaster, just tiny marginal, uh-huh. you know, like 3000 downloads a, a week or something. Um, uh, YouTube is much more successful for our content than the podcast, although the podcast brings people who are really intensely interested. Um, so, I mean, how many downloads a week does blogging heads get generally? Um, I probably shouldn't reveal that number, but I mean, if you look at, it, you can see what the various things are in terms it's of like three um, to five per in, ter- in terms of streams. Episode. Yes, streams on on YouTube, and then there's also, but there's also podcast audience. Yeah, um, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, what, so the algorithm, the mysterious algorithm that recommends things yeah. on YouTube, is a great way to, for something to sort of go viral and for people to find things. So people, you know, people started um, finding Glenn. Glenn always had a large following compared to the other shows on bloggy heads. Uh, but it was after the um, black lives, black lives matter protests broke out that suddenly people fa- found him. I don't know how that happened exactly. If the algorithm oh, really? somehow started directing people to him. Um, but mm-hmm. his, you know, he's like shot up 
since then. So it's 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 strange until he presents a sort of counter narrative of right. about what's happening with now, race he's in America. Perfect. He's perfect for people who don't want to support Black Lives Matter, right? <laughs> but who uh, don't want to be feel like they're racist. Exactly. They can point to Glenn Lowry and say, <laughs> "Look, even Glenn Lowry agrees with me." Um, and I, by the way, I say that, and I, I think a lot of Glenn Lowry's critiques have some merit, uh, but um, it is kind of funny how these things work dem- demographically. But the, the the point I was making is, I think the days of podcasting, the, I think podcasting has always relied on institutional support to be. To really blow up, you can do it through, uh, you know, longevity and hard work. But you're probably without right. getting some sort of institutional support because there's no probably not going to come huge. There's no, uh, it, it, there's still no easy way to discover a new podcast that doesn't have institutional support. It's like Apple right. controls so much of the of it through their podcast yeah. app, and they, you know, they're going to recommend something from the New York Times or Crooked Media or something. I mean, things can bubble up that are essentially just random people, random comedians or something, they don't, they don't always have to have institutional support, but it certainly helps. And yeah. And the fact that Blogging Heads has been uh, an institution of, of sorts, but like, and we've, we've partnered with big institutions like the New York Times and the Atlantic over the years, but, uh, you know, if we were put into the crooked media feed or something, I'm like, you know, it would go up by 10 times or, or something like that. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So I just think that podcasting is not going to be where, it's not a more natural fit then uh, for people who want to get an audience, then YouTube or some of these other – like basically YouTube uh, because uh, I think that you can actually have a faster, easier uh, path to a major audience or larger audiences on YouTube than you can uh, through podcasting. Not as good an audience but bigger. Yeah, well, that's that's that is another thing of of do you are you caring about the numbers or are you caring about the like sort of people who are watching it? And if you're trying to make money off of it, then maybe that matters. If, if you're you, you if need your people Patreon who Patreon is your major thing. Yeah, if you, you want exactly big, and then funnel the good into the Patreon. That's uh, <laughs> that's what you. Yeah, want. or uh, well, it, it kind of. I mean, it depends. Like you know, um, it, I I have a sense that the. Um, podcast audiences are more affluent than YouTube audiences because yeah. you're more likely to listen. This is this is like my folk wisdom. You're more likely to be listening to um, a podcast on your commute to work, whereas if you're watching hours and hours of YouTube all day, maybe you don't you're have a job. Probably unemployed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now these so days, commutes are gone, and also... now we're all stuck in front of our computers anyway. So, um, so yeah. maybe that's maybe that's changing, but um, it is a little bit more. Well, it's hard to say if you, I mean, so you see the type of comments that people who are commenting on YouTube comment, and maybe this will produce some, even more of this type of comment below this video, but like they're often really, really bad and uh, just total nonsense, bullshit, like bizarre, you know, garbage. Um, We get less of that than probably blogging heads does or, or you do because the people who are going to watch the, we, I get one kind of comment over and over again from right wingers. I think mostly who land on the uh, our site, which is nothing that you said made any sense to me at all. It's just a bunch of word salad. I don't understand anything you're saying. Um, uh, and that, and I use, I chalk that up to them never encountering the arguments that I'm making before and not having a quick sound bite that's already pre-programmed into them to respond with. Um, and, you know, I get some personal insults like uh, your tongue is fat or something. I mean, that's my favorite one. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the, 
Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> but, it's but strange. For the most part, I get really. I even on YouTube, we get really in, insightful, supportive. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, yeah, maybe comments. maybe the blogging yet. Maybe I'll you know. Uh, you, did you see that tweet that went viral where where this guy said, "You disgusting worms." He was criticized <laughs> as a young adult author. I don't know if, how much amateur on you're on Twitter, so it's like. All you blogging well, was that aimed at you? At no, well, it was aimed at everyone who was criticizing YA. You know, there's all this this running oh. bizarre stuff having to do with young adult literature versus like the Western canon. And there was this guy who was just like you, disgusting worms. Uh, you know, people who don't <laughs> acknowledge the greatness of YA. But anyway, yeah. So it's like, yeah, all, all the disgusting worms out there who are commenting below this probably they they don't like me in particular. But um, so maybe that's coloring my um. You know, coloring my my stance against them. Okay, we've gone on a, a longer than I thought. But I, I don't. I yeah. did want to ask you about one other thing, which is so the, yeah. in the video you talk about Christopher Lash, and that's yeah. someone who I really know almost nothing about, except that he taught at the University of Rochester, where I worked very briefly, and people there still remember him fondly. Um, but could you just say what is what is the Christopher Lash angle to uh, <laughs> to, well, to all of us? Okay. I read Christopher Lash probably for the first time in the nineties. I. Uh, I've been on the left for a long, long time. So I encountered this book. There was a book called The Agony of the Left, which I bought in paperback and read and hated when I read it the first time when I was in my 20s because he was so critical of the left. And he was uh, he was sort of um, breaking a lot of taboos in that book from, from my perspective. But then I couldn't just dismiss him because he was clearly on the left himself and um, he wasn't – completely wrong then there's the other book that i didn't like very much when i first read it either which is the culture of narcissism and i didn't like that because i was a novelist or short story writer at the time who loved metafiction you know mm -hmm. and he was so critical of like kurt vonnegut and uh coover and and john barth yeah. uh in culture of narcissism as uh, as figures that were emblematic of the narcissistic turn uh, in our culture. Um, okay. So now fast forward to last couple, like last five years. So he's primarily a cultural critic. He's a cultural more critic. More than a political yeah. critic. Mm, I would say he's both. I okay. mean, the agony of the left is a cultural analysis of the left from a, the perspective of a socialist. So in, in 1969, when you, when that book was published, he was definitely part of a, a radical milieu. He thought of himself as a socialist he was um, sort of advocating for an American socialism in the style of the old Socialist Party of America. Um, and there's lots of things uh, going on in that book, um, which when I first read it, I wasn't, you know, it, to me, Socialist Party of America, Communist Party USA, Bolsheviks, Mensheviks, who cares? <laughs> in, in 1993. Uh -huh. um, or, but – Okay, so now flash forward to today, Christopher Lash has an entirely different cachet than he did when I first encountered him, which is probably he didn't have any back then, uh, not much of any, because uh, I think I might have encountered him more like 95 or 96. He died in 94, I think, um, and it, now he has been held up by our own Angela Nagel as a major influence on her work. Um, he is someone who is sort of the icon of anti-woke leftism maybe or one of the icons of anti-woke leftism because he critiques uh, – like one of his books is called The Revolt of the Elites and it's all about critiquing the liberal progressive establishment left that is attacking the working class family um, as uh, would be something he – I mean he, he never says things as simply – 
as I just said, and 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 his his ideas and and critiques are always immensely thoughtful. He he was a very thoughtful person, mm-hmm. um, but nonetheless, he thought there was something to be salvaged in the uh, traditional family, whether it was an extended family or a nuclear family, and that that he thought that the mobile uh, professional uh, statist elites. Um, were disconnected from everyday working people and were failing to see the values that were significant that still were embodied by traditional extended families and, and family life and community life and rural life even. Um, and uh, that while it couldn't, those things couldn't just be held on to in a socially conservative way, that the values that they had and the things that they provided for working people were real things and they needed to be considered rather than um, dismissed and you know that this for last the idea of bureaucrats going into the family home and dictating to parents how they should raise their kids and taking kids away from families this was a real travesty uh, and uh, and, and showed the poverty of the left's mentality as a kind of left working class politics behind and became administrators Mm -hmm. Hmm. So so that's why he's popular now is that he's really good at – if you hate like Elizabeth Warren and loved Bernie Sanders more and you are tired of being told that you're a sexist, racist, cisgendered, uh, toxic, masculine, whatever on Twitter, Christopher Lash might be your guy. <laughs> and he certainly is like red, red, the people at Red Scare like him and hmm. uh, Angela Nagel likes him and – and I think he's really worth reading, and I, I like him too, but I've been – as I explored him in these videos, I've been actually pretty, fairly critical of him as well because he's just not an orthodox Marxist. Mm-hmm. He's – you know, from my perspective, he doesn't – he's not part of my little sectarian group, so I have to attack him. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, there, as someone who is not on the – you know, it was a liberal and not a leftist, but also follows a lot of leftists on Twitter and just kind of follows what – People are saying the 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 battles there over over Nagel um, and whether she is really good or really bad. And I mean, Red Scare. I don't know. Obviously, those are not the same things. Red Scare is more of an entertainment podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it, it is it's interesting and confusing. Um, I mean, maybe there should be an explainer video about <laughs> all this um, all this stuff. Well, I've been fairly critical of some of the things Nagel has been saying lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what happened in Angela Nagel is that she got so sick of being attacked by so many different kinds of leftists that she pretty much hates everyone who calls himself a leftist today. And uh, I do too, but I try to hold it <laughs> in. Uh, <laughs> right, and we should say um, that the, the the original reason that you came on the show three and a half years ago was that you either I contacted you or you contacted me about having Nagel on somewhat before she hit it big. And so I read her book and she was like ready to come on. And then, you know, she was a lot of that book was critiquing the alt-right and she received like death threats and stuff. And so she realized, or she decided she didn't want to have her face on camera. At that. She wasn't getting death threats at that moment. I don't think from alt-right figures, the big problem for her has always been from her, the radical liberal left. But she did get some attacks from all right people, but they were not nearly as vicious or as sustained. So I don't remember her getting death threats from. Okay, the yeah, I could, I could be misremembering, but she did. Yeah, she basically decided I, you know, I don't want to go through the gauntlet. I don't want to be online anymore. I don't want to be yeah, publicly yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. Going through the gauntlet, yeah. she didn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I remember finding that book very interesting, and um, and I, I wonder how rereading it now that things have things have changed. Also, the you know the well the alt right you know it seemed it it was somewhat <laughs> overexposed or like they were not as big a deal as we thought it was for a certain length of time uh, right. around the time when when Trump won the election, and then yeah. I also I mean speaking of censorship, a lot of those people got kicked off of various platforms. The people who would send me you know. Um, uh, oven, you know, putting Jews in oven memes on Twitter, they're all gone. Um, because right. sometimes I, I look for my old tweets and all those people, it just says account suspended. So either they left and went back to their hobbies or Twitter kicked them off for sending abusive stuff to I'm people. sure they were kicked off. Yeah. Um, and that kind of thing that if someone's sending you, I don't know if you're, you're, you're Jewish, I, I guess, yeah, right? I, I mean, someone's sending a Jewish man, uh, not, not Nazi propaganda and cartoons from the Nazi era of Germany that's obviously a personal attack. That's that can't be tolerated. That's well beyond the. That's crossing the line into death threats and that kind of stuff. So right, I think yeah. that should be thrown out. Yeah. So I, I I think part of I, and and the debacle that became the the uh, unite the right rally in Charlottesville that also yeah. took the steam out of a lot of it and maybe people who are sort of like casual fellow travelers were kind of like oh this is horrible and I'm gonna like get back into like <laughs> video games instead of like the politics <laughs> stuff that I was into for the last year um right. so yeah um but yeah I um yeah I think it, yeah so, so anyway it's so anyway there's something about Christopher Lash one last thought about Christopher Lash which is that Christopher Lash is an important person to read now because he was Critiquing the left at a moment where, while well, it didn't know it entirely, it was falling apart. His first book, The Agony of the Left, is 1969. <clears throat> he continued to work on critiquing American culture and, and the left culture all the way to the end, and which was in the 90s. But so in the 70s and 80s, he was this consistent critic of, of the left's missteps and, uh, and of American culture's missteps, but also of the way capitalism was transforming society. Um, and I think a lot of the things that he said then unfortunately continue to be the case today because many of the tactics and ideas that dominated the left in the new left era have continued on. We haven't really learned as, as much as we need to, and reading Christopher Lash again is worthwhile. Uh-huh. So, if someone like me who uh, has never read him at all, would you, is there some place you would recommend starting? Yeah, Culture of the uh, of Narcissism. You know, it it uh, influenced um, Jimmy Carter. That's probably what he's huh. most well known for. Okay. Carter's um, malaise on America speech right. was came together after he had read Lash and and spoken to him, had him to huh. the White House. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, that's a very different, uh, very different era than, than uh, <laughs> what we've been going through now. Okay, so I, um, I, why don't we uh, end it there? So, okay, so you, um, uh, the the the, the um, investigation continues as to whether as to this particular video and yeah, everyone should go and tweet at YouTube to to change it and and to put my video back online. <laughs> and and who knows, it's possible it will be back on there by the time this is posted. Uh, but if not, the video is on. We'll include the link to it, which is on your Patreon page. It's public, um, and you can watch it as a Vimeo embed, uh, and people can make up their own minds uh, about whether or not it should have been taken down, which I think almost any human would say no, but also, like, why did yeah. some you, – you thought they think it was, I remember you said to me in my own imagination that you thought it was brilliant and <laughs> it was a travesty that the video was taken well, down. Well, it, it is – I mean, it's it's mysterious – why why this did happen and yeah and and so much of our so much of online life is governed by these algorithms that 
are we have no access to them and it's like we're like the you know um feeling we're like the blind uh, blind wise men or whatever feeling the elephant right. or something we just have these like little emanations of, of what could possibly be going on behind the scenes and and um so yeah so and, and so i actually i wonder if that there's gonna be more of a political movement that's not just like the crazy trump stuff section 230 but more like you know what you know even you claim the algorithm is proprietary information but it's like in the public interest for these things to be you know public and studied by people outside of google and, and facebook and stuff so that seems like there, there might be energy behind that um over the next couple of years i hope so um so i don't know if we're gonna if this will make it into the uh video or not but i want to point out one other thing to you which is back to crystal lash Recently, as I was rereading, I'm not sure if it was Culture of Narcissism or one of his other books, but I've been rereading a couple of them. But Lash quotes Mickey Kouse. Really? In one of his books um, as as a prominent leftist. Uh, a prominent uh, leftist? Wait. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> Mickey Kouse, prominent leftist? Po- yeah, you know, Mickey Kouse was part of the SDS, right? Students for Democratic Society, I, I, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean – he, yeah, he's that was back in the day. Yeah, but, you know, uh, he um, well, yeah, he went, he was at Harvard Law, I believe, um, Harvard and Harvard Law. Um, but yeah, I guess I don't actually. I mean, well, maybe um, this is a question we can <laughs> we can we I can find out the answer to Mickey, and I've I've asked him if you will come on our channel to discuss his transformation from being a member of SDS to being a right wing Trumper. Right, and I have not received an email back. Um, I, I emailed him right before Thanksgiving, so that's maybe why. But if you talk to Mickey, tell him I'm wanting to talk to him. And uh, <laughs> we can start with the quote in the Crystal Lash book. I'll tra- track it down. Okay, very interesting. So for people who don't know Mickey Kaus, co-founder of Vlogging Heads, um, and has come back on the site this past year talking to Robert Wright, the, one of the other co-founders. Um, but yeah, but someone who was definitely moved to the right and voted for Trump twice um, <laughs> uh, for reasons that a lot of people are still <laughs> scratching their heads over, but um, all about immigration and the workers' rights. Yeah. It's just twisted. We got to make e- income equality happen by suppressing labor. And it's weird, but yeah, anyway. I, I don't really understand it, but, but yeah. Okay. Mickey, uh, the challenge has been publicly, uh, the gauntlet has been thrown down publicly <laughs> and, uh, and uh, maybe, maybe it'll happen someday. Okay. So, so Doug, thank you for, for coming on, so uh, your we'll you know include links to stuff, but if, if people want to find find your channel, is it zero books? Is is the is the, yeah, o, uh, the number YouTube zero or zero? Just that spell it out. Zero books. Okay. Um, and if you uh, you know type in my name into uh, YouTube, you should find it as well. But at zero books is the best way to search for it. Where we have our own. It's through John Hunt Publishing. That's the the publishing company that owns the imprint. Mm-hmm. So you can go to John Hunt Publishing and find us there and, and buy books. Um, yeah, we have a podcast uh, that you can find on most podcast apps. And uh, uh, yeah, and we have a Patreon. People should go and when they're done supporting Blogging Heads on <laughs> Patreon, go support Zero Books. Uh, sounds good. And um, people can follow me. Uh, on Twitter at, at RACW, or they can subscribe to this show on their podcast app, Culturally Determined, um, which might be a good thing to do, and you can rate and review it and all that other stuff. So, uh, so uh, Doug, thanks for coming on. I hope I hope the mystery solved, the, the video restored, and yeah, and, and um, thanks to our viewers and listeners, and we'll yep. see you again next time. All right.